Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The NFL's opening week was action-packed and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of the PJ's casts, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 5-star reviews. It includes three customizable sound profiles, earbud tap functions, noise isolation, and awareness mode. Go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Welcome everyone to the PJ's cast. I'm your host, Pierce, alongside my good pal, Jacob. And we have a very special guest today. We have uh, Mitch Brown of Elite Prospects. How's it going, Mitch? Not too bad, not too bad. Pierce, Jacob, thanks for having me on. Of course. Pleasure having you on. So before we get into anything, uh, did you go to Montreal for the draft? I did not, but I heard a lot of crazy stories that I cannot repeat on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually went to the uh, draft with one of my co-hosts who isn't here today, but we had, we had a blast there. We were only there for a few days, but just being in Montreal, Bell Center, the atmosphere was great. The food there was great. The people there were great. I would love to go back to, to Montreal just as a, like as a vacation, even if the draft wasn't there. And yeah, every like uh, prospect person we've had on, like they've gone to the draft. They went to the draft in Montreal and had a great time. So I thought I'd ask, but yeah, hopefully uh, be able to show up in Nashville because we're planning to go for Nashville, and that just that just they'll just sound like a blast. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I've already been signed up to go to Nashville, so oh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. So before we get into to anything, I just kind of want to ask, like, how did you get into scouting and what's your philosophy behind scouting? Because I really like the work you do. Like, for those who don't know, you do a uh, like a tracking d- data for all uh, North American junior leagues. You do the the video scouting reports on elite prospects. So I'm just kind of curious, like, how you got into scouting and what's your like philosophy and process behind it? So I got into it mostly through like an insane amount of boredom. That's probably the <laughs> primary driving factor here. But you know, I, it, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a long journey. So like I just started, you know, writing, and then prospects were kind of the thing that no one was really writing about, and so I started writing about it, and then one thing led to another, and then I'm 
working for the athletic and then I'm working for Elite prospects full time. And so it is, it's been quite the journey. And then as for the process, it is very long and very challenging, you know, for everyone you're trying to watch of them at least eight times. Um, and of course, some players are a lot easier to get a hold on than others. Some players you got to watch a lot more, uh, you know, we understand the nuances of their game, but also to, uh, better contextualize their draft year. A big part of scouting is figuring out how they fit into their team. What is driving poor decisions? Is it the structure? Is it coaching? Is it just that they're not good at making decisions? Like there are so many different factors at play. And so for me, it's about acquiring as much information as possible. And that's why I started tracking games. You know, it's one thing to be able to say that like some dude on the Chicago Steel has an 85% controlled entry rate, but that's meaningless if you don't have the rest of the team because everyone on Chicago has that, if not higher, because yeah. that's the way that they work. So it was mostly just born out of like uh, information gathering. And then, you know, you think they, uh, when I started, I was like, oh, I'm only gonna track games for like a year. And then from there, we'll see what happens. And then it just became the way that I watch hockey. And so now I'm like, even if I'm just watching hockey, like on TV or whatever, in my head, I'm thinking, Okay, well, that's breakout. Could breakout by him. He used the middle there. And I'm like recording it all in my head for some reason. And then I, I can't just enjoy things anymore. Really, it's been a curse. It's been a curse. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah, go, Jacob. <laughs> uh, I love what you said there about um, you, you can't watch somebody once. I know Twitter's so bad for it. They'll just throw a highlight package together and be like, oh, this prospect's so great for this and all that. Um, I love people who uh really dissect it and look at that so i got a, i got a lot of respect for you for how you do it like that i appreciate it and, you know part of it is yeah, i'm fortunate enough to have a full-time job in the industry right and you know i don't want to call anyone out here for not having an opportunity to for not having enough time you know i i had to grind it out in a, in a structure that i would argue or a system that i would argue was unfair and greatly underpays freelance writers and I hope that moving forward, you know, places like Elite Prospects and so on can make a better environment for that kind of stuff. Yeah, because that, well, yeah, we, we started up a, well, I started up a Substack in, I think, back in April. So it's been almost six months now, just kind of like trying to get into prospects. So I've been doing it for like, like I've been interested in the draft the past few years. I'm a Blackhawks fan. So like ever since they've gotten more worse and worse, I'm just like, oh, let's take a look at the draft. Let's see who they could select. You know, what, what could be not only the future for them, for the, but for the future in the NHL. But I'm like 2022, like they, they were just so bad. I'm like, I got to take my focus on into something else. And I really started paying attention to the prospects, trying to challenge myself to get into like video scouting, trying to figure out the nuances, whether it's like hockey IQ, like like their pattern recognition or like the all that stuff and like the skating, the mechanics and technique and all that stuff. That's really something I'm trying to push myself to and trying to potentially get a job in the, the NHL front office. I wanted to ask, so you didn't go to the draft, but uh, I'm sure you still followed it pretty intently. Um, did you have any like big winners, losers from it? Uh, you know, players you really liked that went, you know, Higher than you expected, lower than you expected, just anything like that? Well, I think for winners, there are quite a few teams. I really like what Chicago did with Korchinski, Nazar, Renzel. I know I wasn't going to lead with Chicago, but as soon as I heard it, I was like, okay, I have to do it. And then uh, Samuel Savoie, just like a little truck, just running over everyone. He's super fun to watch. Gavin Hayes has some real upside. Same with mm -hmm. Ryan Green and Paul Lewinsky. But... Columbus, I really like the identity that they're trying to build on the blue line. 
I mean, yep. you get Juracek and Matejchuk, you get two guys who are very focused on creating advantages up the ice, very focused on activation. And then you get a few nice little upside swings later on. But I mean, you add that, you've got Sillinger, Kent Johnson, Corson Kuhlmans, David Juracek, Denton Matejchuk. Like, not all those guys are going to hit, are going to hit obviously, just by the way the numbers work. But I mean, that is a great core to build around. Montreal had the first overall pick, so I won't talk about Slokowski, but I really like what they did in the later rounds. Philip Machar, a uh, high-skilled guy, you can really build more to his game, more inside play, and I think you can extract some serious value from him. Owen Beck, just, uh, I mean, he's a pro. He's a pro already. 17 years old, and he plays the, he plays center like he's been in the NHL for five. Just very good north-south player, understands how to win, win battles, win body positioning, and then he's great at getting open, and his give-and-go game improved a lot throughout the season, so I think he's almost as close to a surefire NHLer as you're going to find. Lane Hudson, everyone loves Lane Hudson. Uh, Cedric Wendon can rip it. Vincennes Rohr can hurt people in extremely impressive ways for someone who weighs 161 pounds, so I liked what they did. Seattle had a fun draft, obviously getting right, but also Furkis, Goyette, uh, Yanni Newman, uh, Tyson Jugnoff, Barrett Hall was a guy who uh, one of our scouts, Daniel G, really zeroed in on, and I quite liked him in some extra viewings later on the season. Winnipeg was just fun. I mean, I, I liked it. Uh, they were just taking huge swings every time. Regardi, all right, fixed skating. Brad Lambert, all right, fixed with the, fixed the decision making. Ilya Salmonson, same thing. Danny Zilkin, you hope the skating come along. Garrett Brown, you hope the skating, but like. All of those guys have legit NHL tools. I know Garrett Brown, for example, didn't score at all, but man, that is a guy who can activate. He's a guy who can make great plays off the point. His highlight reel was about as good of any as you're going to find for someone who got zero points or like 14 points or whatever he had in the USA show. And then if we're feeling like, a, I guess, value agnostic, Arizona was kind of fun, right? Logan Cooley, yeah. uh, Connor Geeky, you can ignore what they had to trade to get Connor Geeky, but... I really liked the Julian Lutz pick. Um, mm. Healthy, he's ready to go, and he's just you know great tools. Uh, big, strong, powerful guy who knows how to get to the inside and has some real finesse to his game. Matthew Morn is, you know, big, a little clumsy, but he has moments of real fluidity and skill. And Maverick Lamro is a, I think he got kind of misrepresented. Everyone saw a big guy who was a bit lumbering, and they were like, ah, oh, they just picked him for violence and. If they have a good development plan, he has some legit upside. I'm not saying he's going to be a top four offensive guy, but he has some puck skills, some interesting moments. So I like that. And as for losers, you know, it's always hard because a lot of times the losers in the draft are teams that end up being, you know, if they pick, they ended up making the right call. Like just look at Detroit with Moet Sider, for example. Mm -hmm. But I didn't love what Edmonton did. I thought Jeez. they could have extracted more value out of that late first. Yeah. Reed Schaefer, I'm not saying that Reed Schaefer is a bad player. I think we ranked him like at the tail end of our board, which is around 100 names long. But you really hope with that late first you can get someone who projects to be more than a fourth liner. And I understand, you know, he's big, geeky guy who likes to hit people, but his hits are always like chasing the play and his deeks never really resulted much. So you hope he can flesh out his game a little bit more. And, you know, Joel Mata, not an inspired pick hasn't scored at any level. Real solid defensive player. I respect his game, but the NHL ability I don't think is is particularly high. And then I can't remember who else they drafted, which is a very bad sign, I think. I think they had a couple more picks, and I'm <laughs> blanking on it. 
Yeah, I would really, I really would like to see the Oilers go after someone like Jagger Ferguson. Like, I really thought he yeah. would have fit in well, potentially playing in the top six in their future. Anyways, so we kind of like the first team you brought up were the Blackhawks. I'm very curious. This kind of bleeds into my next question. I'm kind of curious to what do you think Frank Nazar's true upside is? Because I know you're very high on them, and I'm pretty sure the entire Elite Prospects team was high on them as well. So I'm just wondering what kind of makes him such a special player and what could be his true upside if everything uh, pans out well. Yeah, well, I published a video saying that he has the highest offensive upside in the draft class. And I, a few months later, looking back on it, I feel even more strongly about that. He has pretty much everything that you're looking for. Pace, best pace in the draft. It's not just about sprinting, it's about changing pace. And he's absolutely fantastic at that. Slowing down, getting pressure, then passing through it. Uh, he's very inside driven. He's a terrific shooter. He can rip it off the pass and he's even better at getting open and getting open and tight. So you'll like go between checks, read it, then skate through the guy's hands. So then when he takes the puck and shoots it, he has that extra time and space. Just a really adaptable player. You add in the fact that the playmaking improved so much throughout the year. And he was already making high-end elite type passes, like stuff that you don't see from anyone. You didn't see that from Shane Wright or Uri Slavkovsky, where he's manipulating three, four defenders, cutting back, passing against the grain with like some crazy no-look backhand pass. Like you don't see that type of stuff very often. Everything checked out. The underlying profile was the strongest on the NTDP in the 14 or 15 games that I tracked where he was the best rush attacker. He was the best at getting the zone. He generated the most offense. Just a truly, truly electrifying talent. And you hope that as he advances up the levels, the motor and the determination that he shows in these moments where he's bringing the puck from one end to the other will kind of translate to the defensive zone. And he already has the physical skills. You know, physicality isn't something that we talk about as, as being important, like being able to handle the puck or whatever. But for a guy like Nazar, who's five foot ten, it's integral to his success in the NHL. He has to know how to get low, how to establish body positioning, how to prevent guys from reaching around. And he's one of the best in the draft at that. And like, if everything goes right, well, not if everything goes right. I like, don't know why I said that. If everything goes right, everyone will be in the NHL. But yeah. <laughs> for him, I think on the current path that he's trying, there's legit like one C upside. I think there's a real chance that he likely settles into the 2C role, but 1C with like those physical tools with that style of play, always in the middle, always fast, but he has a nice delay game, uses his teammates well, he can score. You know, there's there's legit high, high upside with Frank Nazar. Yeah, as like Blackhawks fans, there's not been a bunch of, uh, I guess, like prospects to look after other than Lucas Reichel, really. So. No, regardless of what you think of how they got those picks at number seven and number 13, I really like how they flipped Kirby Doc for Frank Nazar. Obviously, the Brinkett for Korchinski, yada, yada, that's a that's a whole different story. But I think just looking in a vacuum, just purely at the draft picks, I really like what they did, Frank Nazar. I, do you think he projects as a center at the, at the NHL level or more as a winger? Because I've been seeing, oh, he might not project as a center. Just because you know five foot ten, you can't be a center because of that. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that's that's the only reason why I can see why people would say that. He's a very intelligent support player. He he's very good at getting the middle, then kicking pucks out to the flank. He's very good at taking pucks off the boards and moving them to the middle. Two very very important skills and transition in the NHL, especially if you're going to be a center where you're supporting, you're moving back and forth and around the ice a lot. And of course, having that speed up the middle, having that quickness up the middle is so important. 
not just because you're trying to char like charge straight ahead, but because you want to have that threat to bring defenders towards you, right? If you can bring a defender towards you and then you can bring another one, that means there's someone open on the ice. And, he, and Frank Nazar really improved his ability to find them throughout the year. So, I mean, he's, he's as clear of a center to me as, as I saw. Like, he's more of a center to me than Logan Cooley or Cutter Gote on that team for sure, I think. All right, so um, it's nice to hear you wax poetic about Frank Nazar because like, we were a huge fan when they when they picked him. And I guess we'll kind of we're on the topic of the Blackhawks draft draft picks. What did you think about Kevin Korchinski at seven? I feel like everyone kind of had the same reaction. I'm like, oh, that's maybe a little high, but you, you can kind of respect the, the like the gamble at number seven because I feel every team was looking for that Kale McCarr-esque defenseman. I don't know if you're going to get as high as level as Kale McCarr is because he's just really a different breed, but kind of being that tier below and being that offensive defenseman that can transition pucks up the ice and all that. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. Look, like we had Korchinski ranked 19th, seventh overall. Like once you get past the first few picks, you're really just throwing darts. And of course you have more opportunity because you get to pick your guy that you want in that area. And so they should hit on them more because they have more selection. And of course, if you just flip the Nazar Korchinski pick, then it looks more reasonable anyway. So I, I don't see what the problem is. I think Korchinski is very electrifying. He has a dynamic style of play. He wants to be the guy. That's, that's hard to teach. You know, like that's, 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 a, that's a skill within itself. And He's incredibly turnover prone. A lot of them are, you can't live with. And I'm very pro turnover, as people as people say about me sometimes. I, I love a good turnover if it means that they're trying to do something good. The defense has a long way to go. And I think skating, as much credit as it does get, which fairly, he does have, he's very fun on his edges. It, to play that in the NHL, he's got to get deeper. you got to be able to explode more from one side to the other. He's also like six foot two, 170. You know, he's going to add weight. He's going to get stronger. He's going to get more depth. He's going to find more separation. And on top of that, that will also curb some of the turnovers as well. As the skating improves, you get more separation. You get more time to make the next play. Turnovers go down. So for Korchinski, it's going to be a developmental project. There's there's no way around that. But again, he wants to be the guy. Like I've, I've never talked to him, but I would imagine you ask him just based on the way that he plays, he wants to be in the middle of every single action. And on top of that, generally those 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 players are the ones who improve the most by the time they get to the pros because they're the ones who seek out all the information. So I, I'm I'm really excited for him. And I mean you just look at the rest of this Blackhawks blue line that they've drafted, right? Sam Renzel, like chaos personified, but you can see the upside in him just because he's so fluid, he can pass it like crazy. Ethan Del Mastro, he's a wild man, but it's the same thing. He's just running up the ice, deking through people like crazy, making look-off passes, like stuff you don't see from defensemen very often. So it's an exciting time. Not all of them are going to pan out. Some of them are going to be get to the NHL and maybe blow up a little bit. But it will be fun to watch. That is for sure. Yeah, I feel that's one thing the Blackhawks do have down is they have their defensive core is definitely set for the future. Like with like obviously like Nolan Allen is another guy that drafted. I don't know if he has any high upside, but that's certainly a guy who can play NHL games. They got a bunch of guys in Rockford like uh, Isaac Phillips and I think Jakob Galvis, and they even have Wyatt Kaiser in University who I really like. And 
Kevin Korczynski, like, again, what like you bring up him wanting to be the guy, him moving pucks up the ice, like him having that confidence and poise. And I feel like he has a lot of runway because he is a, a like a June birthday. It, this isn't like David Yerchek where I think he was like November, December of 2003. Like Kevin Korczynski is June 2004. I think he's going to take the time. And uh, again, like there, there's stuff he has to work on. Like, yeah, he is quite turnover prone but i'd rather that than him like not trying nothing at all you know like he's definitely a risk taker and i feel like the the saying of it's better to tame a lion than to uh, make a cat a lion or whatever it is like i feel like that's true of korchinski if you can kind of rein him in a little bit then even if he isn't a top pairing guy still if you're if he's like a still like a top four defenseman you can eat a lot of minutes kind of quarterback your power play number one that still would be a great pick at number seven yeah, absolutely. And of course, NHL contracts are so linked to points, right? And this is a guy you can very easily envision making some serious dough because he's going to get some serious points on that power play. Yeah, hopefully feeding the cup puck to uh, Connor Bedard anyway. <laughs> um, gonna, I think that's a nice way to transition thing into the 2023 draft because we have a lot of questions. Obviously, like Connor Bedard, he's going to be the top guy. I just, I just see it so hard for anyone dethroning him for that number one spot. I think personally, I think he's in a tier of his own, even above Matt Mitchkoff. But I think the question kind of begins after number three, or I feel most for the most part, the consensus is Bedard and uh, Mitchkoff and Fantilli. But yeah, Jacob, I'll let you uh, take the floor here. Well, you've kind of like basically asked the whole question except for the end part. But um, I, I, what I wanted to know is like besides the top three, uh, Bedard, Mitchkov, Fantilli, do you have a guy that like really stands out to you kind of going into this before the season's even started? Well, it is the 2023 draft, so I have like 85 of them, I think. Maybe <laughs> 90. That is very fair. I, okay. Uh, I, I should rephrase instead of one, do you have like a group of like three or four that just like really stand out? I would say the guy who probably popped the most at the Holinka and the guy who when I've gone back and looked at and I've been most excited about is Edward Chalet. Uh okay. The tools are astounding. There there's like being fluid and then there was what he was at the Holinka. We're like, no one could touch this guy. He's just the crossovers are, are are amazing. The stride needs a little bit of work, but you expect that for a player of his age. Mm -hmm. And the hands, just everything in motion. He'll like reach back with one hand while he's taking while he's crossing over, pull the puck up, bring it right into his hip pocket, then make the next play seamless. Like just the type of stuff you don't see. The people who really love Brad Lambert, they loved him for the same reason, right? The fluidity, the tools. You see the same things with Rodian Amirov. You see it with Fabian Lassell as well. Like just these high tool guys, insanely fluid, terrific athlete types. What I think makes Chalet a little bit more interesting than Lambert at this current stage, I mean, obviously a lot can go wrong. I would have been saying a different conversation at the start of last season, but I think he's a lot more aggressive with the puck. He okay. doesn't just want to be a dynamic, you know, puck rusher and then try to make the perfect play. He wants to make the early play, get the puck back, give and go, distribute, trying to make plays to the middle earlier rather than trying to be the defender wide. Very aggressive player off the boards, trying to spin the puck to the middle. He misses the odd opportunity to make the best play from the corners. I think at the Linko, we saw a lot of him moving the puck and then disengaging in the offensive zone. In transition, it was much better. But you also saw that goal, I'm sure everyone saw it, where he moves the puck out of the corner, then drifts into the high slot, and then he turns his body, and the puck's right into his hip pocket, rifles it right off the pass. You know, so it's there. It's in his game. The off-puck offense is there. He just has to build upon it, be more engaged consistently. And I think 
there's a real chance that you could challenge for, you know, one of Michikov and Antilly's spot in the draft. Uh, there is someone whose name has completely escaped me, who I've seen. Oh, the lead Lord Dvorsky, of course. I mean, he's he's one of these players who, like, a lot of it might just be details. Like, a lot of his early success might just be that he's way more intelligent with his body and, like, how he uses it to create a bit of space for himself, turn off the boards, make some plays. But I also see a lot of the beginnings of dynamic skill from him, the look-off passes, the exchanges, how he's always sort of one step ahead of the play. I don't know if I'm quite as sold on him as Chalet at this point, but the upside with him is super high, especially because as you see players kind of go through their draft year, especially when they're playing in a, you know, he's bouncing back and forth between J20 and the SHL, it can be challenging. And I think as you accumulate the views as they get more comfortable at these levels they really start settling in and making more plays and showing more of the player that they're going to be in a few years time and i you know this is this is an exciting player and with uh Audi Kaw going to hockey all Svenskin this year he has a real opportunity to step in and score a lot right off the hop just like how we saw with elias patterson in years previous and if you want like later first round players yeah, oh, we're gonna ask yeah. that. That's I was just gonna ask that. I did want to mention yeah. though, it yeah. is nice to hear because um, usually when we talk about this, a lot of the people will bring up Zach Benson, Braden Yeager, a lot of the North American talent city here, Sale and Dvorsky, kind of more European um, up there. It's it's nice because it, it lets people know that it's not just you know the top five. There's there is like eight nine guys right now who are really really good. Yeah, I mean, there are, I mean, I didn't even mention Leo Carlson, who admittedly I haven't seen, so I, I don't want to talk about him, but like, there are so many guys just mm -hmm. top to bottom who really stand out. Of course, it's a North American draft. I think at this point, no one will disagree with that, but the level of talent in this class is, is really astounding. You don't see, there. you know, if you, when you watch their draft minus ones, most of these top players look like they were in their draft year, mm -hmm. like they're that dynamic, that skilled. So I'm extremely excited to see what they look like like Zach Benson obviously has significant limitations particularly linked to his skating but he was arguably the best player night in and night out on a Winnipeg ice team that featured Mikey Mill Matthew Savoy and Connor Geeky and he was 16 and he wasn't even a high first round pick he was like a, a late first in the WHL Bantam draft because he was small and skated funny so like you know this is this is an exciting class mm -hmm. Where do you think it ranks up in terms of past classes? Because I think obviously the, the the gold standard for NHL drafts, what everyone thinks, oh, what's the best NHL draft of all time? It's definitely the 2003 one because there are just gems in every round, right from top mm -hmm. from the start to the beginning and or to the end. And I think the closest we've gotten to that is definitely 2015, where you look 15, at Connor right. McDavid and Jack Eichel going at the top, and just a bunch of NHL All Stars going after that. So I wonder, say in like the past 10 years or so, where do you think? this draft rank and like stats uh, of other drafts is i don't want to be like oh it's better than 2015 but i think yeah. entering their draft seasons this is equivalent talent level to the 2015 draft of course the 2015 yeah. draft did rise a lot more than your standard draft class there was a lot more movement in who rose and you know there were three or four guys and then by the end of 2015 there were 15. and then in this draft class there's already 15 to 20. And then you add in all the late first guys who, you know, I'm, I'm based in the WHO. I got like 13 guys who have A grades who I think are first round prospects. We only had 22 in the, in, in the last draft in total for everyone. 
So like, this is this is crazy. Of course, it's gonna blow up spectacularly, and all of this is you know that's just the way that it works. But it's still fun to it's still fun to follow at this time. Yeah, and I think that's why we we we're gonna be following this draft because like if we're gonna start like from from the beginning of the year to the finish, this would definitely be the year because we already you already have those those players at at the top that are gonna be great. You know that, but then there's also the possibility for some players to kind of come out of nowhere and really rise to the, the top of the class. And I feel like the WHL, even with just like Connor Bedard and that's it, that'd be a banner year for them. But like you got Bedard, Jaeger, Benson and Danielson and like Crystal, like, like there's just so many names. Like I haven't even mentioned that that could potentially challenge for like not even the first round, but maybe even like a top 15 or top 10 spot. Yeah. And you add in all the guys who went to the United States, like Jaden Perron. And the BCHL guys, Matthew Wood, AJ Lacroix, Graydon Slippich. So, like, there are so, there's so much talent in Western Canada and so much talent that came from Western Canada. You add in the OHL is a huge wild card, too, just because we don't know how losing their entire draft minus two seasons is going to impact it. So, very exciting times. Definitely. Um, Jacob, do you have anything else to add? Or we could pretty um, much wrap this up, I think. Joel? Oh, I did. Uh, it was, this is going back a little bit. So I was going to ask because uh, so Pierce is a Chicago fan and our other co-host that's usually with us, Coyotes fan, you kind of talked about both of them. I wanted to get your, uh, your take. What did you think about the Sabres draft last year? And uh, kind of like with Nazar or Nazar, what do you think about uh, Savoie? Like what is his high-end talent for you? Uh, his high-end talent is that he has cool tools and you hope that he can figure out the rest. He's one of these weird players where you watch him and he should be amazing. He should be electrifying, but he's very boring. And I don't mean that as like a diss to him or anything like that, but I think his style, he very much tries to play, uh, you know, the short range passing game. He doesn't make a ton of, he doesn't try a ton of risky plays, doesn't force a ton of plays either. And you hope that over time he's going to develop a little bit more confidence. Like he, this is a guy, he can outskate half the league. In the NHL, he's going to have skating as an advantage. He can outshoot everyone in the WHL who isn't Connor Bedard and like Braden Yeager and like three other guys. Like he can absolutely rip it. He can rip it off the pass. Explosive shot, highly projectable. But he doesn't really use it a ton. He mostly uses it to kind of like score off the power player, then circle high in the zone, and then take a shot from the top of the circle. The hands, the same thing. He just doesn't have the the aggressiveness or it's more linked to like hockey IQ, hockey sense, offensive feel, whatever you want to call it. Like mm -hmm. the source of that is going to be the next interesting thing for Buffalo to find out because maybe he is just doing what Shane Wright did and, you know, trying to play within a structure that Kingston was Kingston put upon him, or yeah. maybe he just didn't see the opportunities to make those plays. And you go back and you watch his tape from before the WHL, like in Dubuque or, uh, in minor hockey the it was the same thing like it was this he, he but he his tools were just better in those leagues like mm -hmm. the ushl is far worse skating than the whl and so he had more of an advantage when he's playing triple a he could outskate everyone so it yeah. didn't really matter that he didn't find the perfect opportunity perfect opportunity for him was just skate straight to the net because yeah. no one could stop him right so you hope that he can really add that and kind of figure it out and the interesting part of these criticisms, too, is that you just look at Buffalo, and I know it's Buffalo, and everyone likes to laugh. Oh, uh, Buffalo. John Jason Paterko went from not being able to find a teammate in the slot to being this insane playmaker in the mm -hmm. AHL. Jack Quinn did the same thing. Yep. So, like, 
you anticipate that Savoy is going to be able to add those to his game to some degree. You know, of course, both of those guys have their own skills and that might not align perfectly with Savoy's. But again, you anticipate some sort of growth. And then with Buffalo, you know, no Ostland, just dynamic, fun, slippery. You hope that he can find a way to do it in the NHL. You hope that he can find a way to the middle a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm quite confident that he will. Yuri Coolidge. I like shots, I guess. Shooting is cool. I mean, he can be a little bit dependent on it, but there's so much skill in other areas in the defense. Mm-hmm. It, watching him watching him defend in, in like a pro league at that level was very impressive. Just walk to his man at all times, angling, pushing them to the outside, eliminating their stick in time for a pass. And uh, Nushev, just crazy, just chaos. Uh, he, <laughs> he's a very enjoyable watch. Yeah. And Matt Lindgren... A very uh, divisive player in our ranks, but uh, there's clear breakout skill, and I hope that Red Deer doesn't extract it from him like they've, how they've taken it away from other players. So I wish him the best, and I'll see him live with him a lot, I'm sure, this season. All right. So, so Yeah, that's great. Thank. That's all I, I wanted to, to really ask. My final question is uh, the Blackhawks do have two first-round picks this year, obviously, with all the moves they made this offseason and actively trying to not make their team better, um, they're probably going to get – it's probably a good bet they get a top-five pick, and even if they don't get Bedard, Mitchkoff, or even Fantelli, I still feel they're going to get a get a high-end center, which is really what they need. And if you can get, like, a Dalibor Dvorsky or Leo Carlson or Braden Jaeger and kind of fight with Frank Nazar for that number one spot, have a one-two punch, I feel like that's pretty good going forward. You can do a lot worse than that, but um, – I'm more curious to like to see who are they going to pick with their second pick because they're just so much high in talents and definitely in the last draft they had a type like Frank Nazari pays with plays with pace, speed, and all that, and they kind of got the same with Ludwinski and Green. Not necessarily maybe the the high end speed or the high end skill, but they definitely kind of had that type. And I'm just wondering what players that could potentially go in the late first round that kind of fit that bill. So I have good news for you. There is a blue line version of Frank Nazar. He is explosive. Just inside-driven, highly manipulative, great playmaker, very good at you know the give-and-go game, getting open, physical, in-your-face. Tanner Melendic, Saskatoon Blades. This man is amazing to watch. Uh, he also had an incredible uh, dating, uh, tracking data profile as a draft minus one, one of the best I've ever tracked. Man, didn't let anyone sneak by him off the rush. He's very aggressive, very in-your-face. He's very good at angling plays and then slamming them into the boards. Really like the activation, just nonstop. The handling skill is electrifying. You see him pull these crazy, like reaching toe drags around two guys, and then spin around to his backhand and make a crazy pass, and then keep joining the rush, and then drive the net, and then punch someone in the face in front of the net because that's what he does. <laughs> you know, he, he's he's electrified, and and similar into the into the Tana Melendic, uh, uh archetype is Luca Cagnonia on the Portland Winterhawks. This is a, a very toolsy player. He's much he's a little bit better at like sequencing, but he is older than Melendic. So this is he's much better at making a play than following it up, than keep following up. And you know, he's the type of player who you watch and you see him make a little play in the defensive zone, and then twelve seconds later he makes an amazing one in the offensive zone. Just everything with him has a real purpose. It's very interesting to watch. He's a player I think could not not getting much discussion right now, but as a late 04, a, a real candidate to score big points this season, play big minutes, and I think he'd be a very fun, exciting player. Of course, there are a few other guys who I really like. Jaden Perron, very exciting, great hands, 
great hands, great hands. Yeah, uh, just crazy puck handling. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say. The hands are unbelievable. And he's a very intelligent player as well. Ethan Goche, violent, intelligent off puck type of player who maybe you don't draft him because you think his, his skill level is the highest in that spot, but you think that with a little bit of work, you can put him in your top six and you can kind of play a secondary role. He's like a mini sort of Matthew Nyes. So body positioning, uh, shooting, he's a bit of a better playmaker than Nyes, but all the same kind of elements. And Caden Price is another WHL defenseman who I'm quite fond of in that late first territory now. The skiing is pretty ugly. Like at the link, he's tripping over his feet. He can't cut back really at all. Um, but it's improved a lot. And then you add him to playmaking. He's just ripping apart teams with these like crazy passes. He's he's very uh, Sean Barron's or Pavel Mentukov esque in these passes where you know he's he's not just throwing a puck into the slot and hoping it works out. He's manipulating the incoming defender. He because he sees that he sees his option behind them, and so he'll manipulate beat them, get to the outside or the inside, and then move to his target. He's a he's a play planner. And you add in the incredible rush defense, the fact that he's going to be playing on this Kelowna Rockets team that is going to be very tough, and he's going to have a ton of opportunity to, to score. Like, they have a lot of minute make, they have a lot of guys who can play in minutes, but not a lot of guys who are going to get points on that back end. So he's going to get all the cushy offensive zone starts, the power play time probably. He's going to be out there with their, with their big guys in the offensive zone. So... Very, very exciting. And I just have to give a quick shout out to Denver Barkey, who was the dog of the Ivan or the Holinka Gretzky Cup. That man, I've never seen a player work like him. Never. That was on that was incredible. Man just like sprints from one end of the ice, hits some dude, sprints to the other end of the ice, hits another guy, steals the puck, draws a penalty. It's watching the OHL preseason because I'm a freak the other day and this man's like chasing some dude behind the net slams him to the ice and then goes teammate into a penalty <laughs> like this man does not take a break ever so shout out to also love it. he's gonna be he's gonna be a fun one to watch but i don't think he's gonna be a late first candidate yeah you brought up a bunch of the, like the defensemen that there's like a w a lot of whl defensemen i feel like could have this kind of like kevin korchinski or denton mintacha kind of rise and Caden price is definitely someone that i that i've kind of been keeping a, a tab on because i feel like he almost has like a a kevin korchinski profile maybe they don't have the same game style but you look at the the birthday like he's a late august 2005 birthday he has a lot more runway they kind of have the same height and size and just kind of that that ability to generate offense, even though I feel like Kane Price is again is more of a passer, but he's going to be on a very stacked Kelowna Rockets team that could have a good chance of potentially going on a deep uh, WHL playoff run. And that was kind of the same with Korchinski and the, the Seattle Thunderbirds and Tanner Malone Dick. That's that's some someone I definitely want to. I haven't really heard much of, but now that you kind of brought him up, that's kind of someone I'm curious. In. And and again, you can never, even though the Blackhawks have drafted a lot of defensemen, that's a can never have too many defensemen. One of them's got to pan out. So definitely, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the WHL. Like someone who lives in Alberta, lives in Edmonton, I'm going to try to catch as many uh, WHL games in person as possible because there's just there's so much talent. Like the last time I can think of uh, a, a team, like a, like, a, like a league or whatever, producing this much talent was the, the 2019 class with the USNTP. So definitely looking forward to it, seeing how this draft uh, unfolds this year because there's just so much talent and yeah, hopefully we can we can uh, chat again soon and see where things are at in maybe a few months or so. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. So yeah, Mitch, thanks for coming on. You're so smart. 
Like you just know so much about the game, and I can just tell your your enthusiasm for him. And uh, again, hopefully we can uh, chat again soon down the line. Yeah, thanks a lot, Pierce and Jacob. It was a great time. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for being here, man.